Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Various introductory essays and preface of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. Various Introductory Essays and Preface. Abraham Lincoln, the great storytelling president, whose Emancipation Proclamation freed more than four million slaves, was a keen politician, profound statesman, shrewd diplomatist, a thorough judge of men, and possessed of an intuitive knowledge of affairs. He was the first chief executive to die at the hands of an assassin. Without school education, he rose to power by sheer merit and willpower. Born in a Kentucky log cabin in 1809, his surroundings being squalid, his chances for advancement were apparently hopeless. President Lincoln died April 15, 1865, having been shot by J. Wilkes Booth the night before preface dean swift said that the man who makes two blades of grass grow where one grew before serves well of his kind considering how much grass there is in the world and comparatively how little fun we think that a still more deserving person is the man who makes many laughs grow where none grew before Sometimes it happens that the biggest crop of laugh is produced by a man who ranks among the greatest and wisest. Such a man was Abraham Lincoln, whose wholesome fun, mixed with true philosophy, made thousands laugh and think at the same time. He was a firm believer in the saying, laugh and the world laughs with you. Whenever Abraham Lincoln wanted to make a strong point, he usually began by saying, now that reminds me of a story and when he had told a story everyone saw the point and was put into a good humor the ancients had aesop and his fables the moderns had abraham lincoln and his stories aesop's fables have been printed in book form in almost every language and millions have read them with pleasure and profit lincoln's stories are scattered in the recollections of thousands of people in various parts of the country the historians who wrote histories of Lincoln's life remembered only a few of them, but the most of Lincoln's stories and the best of them remained unwritten. More than five years ago, the author of this book conceived the idea of collecting all the yarns and stories, the droll sayings, and witty and humorous anecdotes of Abraham Lincoln into one large book, 
and this volume is the result of that idea before lincoln was ever heard of as a lawyer or politician he was famous as a storyteller as a politician he always had a story to fit the other side as a lawyer he won many cases by telling the jury a story which showed them the justice of his side better than any argument could have done while nearly all of lincoln's stories have a humorous side they also contain a moral which every good story should have they contain lessons that could be taught so well in no other way every one of them is a sermon lincoln like the man of galilee spoke to the people in parables nothing that can be written about lincoln can show his character in such a true light as the yarns and stories he was so fond of telling and at which he would laugh as heartily as any one for a man whose life was so full of great responsibilities lincoln had many hours of laughter when the humorous fun-loving side of his great nature asserted itself every person to keep healthy ought to have one good hearty laugh every day lincoln did and the author hopes that the stories at which he laughed will continue to furnish laughter to all who appreciate good humor with a moral point and spiced with that true philosophy bred in those who live close to nature and to the people around them in producing this new lincoln book the publishers have followed an entirely new and novel method of illustrating it the old shop-worn pictures that are to be seen in every history of lincoln and in every other book written about him such as a flatboat on the sangamon river state capitol at springfield old log cabin etc have all been left out and in place of them the best special artists that could be employed have supplied original drawings illustrating the point of lincoln's stories these illustrations are not copies of other pictures but are original drawings made from the author's original text expressly for this book in these high-class outline pictures the artists have caught the true spirit of lincoln's humor and while showing the laughable side of many incidents in his career they are true to life in the scenes and characters they portray in addition to these new and original pictures the book contains many rare and valuable photograph portraits together with biographies of the famous men of lincoln's day whose lives formed a part of his own life history no lincoln book heretofore published has ever been so profusely so artistically and expensively illustrated the parables yarns stories anecdotes and sayings of the immortal abe deserve a place beside aesop's fables bunyan's pilgrim's progress and all other books that have added to the happiness and wisdom of mankind lincoln's stories are like lincoln himself the more we know of them the better we like them by colonel alexander k mcclure while lincoln would have been great among the greatest of the land as a statesman and politician if like washington jefferson and jackson he had never told a humorous story his sense of humor was the most fascinating feature of his personal qualities he was the most exquisite humorist i have ever known in my life his humor was always spontaneous and that gave it a zest and elegance that the professional humorist never attains as a rule the men who have become conspicuous in the country as humorists have excelled in nothing else 
s s cox proctor knott john p hale and others were humorists in congress when they arose to speak if they failed to be humorous they utterly failed and they rarely strove to be anything but humorous such men often fail for the professional humorist however gifted cannot always be at his best and when not at his best he is grievously disappointing i remember corwin of ohio who was a great statesman as well as a great humorist but whose humor predominated in his public speeches in senate and house warning a number of the younger senators and representatives on a social occasion when he had returned to congress in his old age against seeking to acquire the reputation of humorists he said it was the mistake of his life he loved it as did his hearers but the temptation to be humorous was always uppermost and while his speech on the mexican war was the greatest ever delivered in the senate excepting webster's reply to hayne he regretted that he was more known as a humorist than as a statesman his first great achievement in the house was delivered in eighteen forty in reply to general crary of michigan who had attacked general harrison's military career corwin's reply in defense of harrison is universally accepted as the most brilliant combination of humor and invective ever delivered in that body the venerable john quincy adams a day or two after corwin's speech referred to crary as the late general query and the justice of the remark from the old man eloquent was accepted by all mr lincoln differed from the celebrated humorists of the country in the important fact that his humor was unstudied he was not in any sense a professional humorist but i have never in all my intercourse with public men known one who was so apt in humorous illustration as mr lincoln and i have known him many times to silence controversy by a humorous story with pointed application to the issue his face was the saddest in repose that i have ever seen among accomplished and intellectual men and his sympathies for the people for the untold thousands who were suffering bereavement from the war often made him speak with his heart upon his sleeve about the sorrows which shadowed the homes of the land and for which his heart was freely bleeding i have many times seen him discussing in the most serious and heartfelt manner the sorrows and bereavement of the country and when it would seem as though the tension was so strained that the brittle cord of life must break his face would suddenly brighten like the sun escaping from behind the cloud to throw its effulgence upon the earth and he would tell an appropriate story and much as his stories were enjoyed by his hearers none enjoyed them more than mr lincoln himself i have often known him within the space of a few minutes to be transformed from the saddest face i have ever looked upon to one of the brightest and most mirthful it was well known that he had his great fountain of humor as a safety valve as an escape and entire relief from the fearful exactions his endless duties put upon him in the gravest consultations of the cabinet where he was usually a listener rather than a speaker he would often end dispute by telling a story and none misunderstood it 
and often when he was pressed to give expression on particular subjects and his always abundant caution was baffled he many times ended the interview by a story that needed no elaboration i recall an interview with mr lincoln at the white house in the spring of eighteen sixty five just before lee retreated from petersburg it was well understood that the military power of the confederacy was broken and that the question of reconstruction would soon be upon us colonel forney and i had called upon the president simply to pay our respects and while pleasantly chatting with him general benjamin f butler entered forney was a great enthusiast and had intense hatred of the southern leaders who had hindered his advancement when buchanan was elected president and he was bubbling over with resentment against them he introduced the subject to the president of the treatment to be awarded to the leaders of the rebellion when its power should be confessedly broken and he was earnest in demanding that davis and other conspicuous leaders of the confederacy should be tried condemned and executed as traitors general butler joined colonel forney in demanding that treason must be made odious by the execution of those who had wantonly plunged the country into civil war lincoln heard them patiently as he usually heard all and none could tell however carefully they scanned his countenance what impression the appeal made upon him i said to general butler that as a lawyer preeminent in his profession he must know that the leaders of a government that had beleaguered our capital for four years and was openly recognized as a belligerent power not only by our government but by all the leading governments of the world could not be held to answer to the law for the crime of treason butler was vehement in declaring that the rebellious leaders must be tried and executed lincoln listened to the discussion for half an hour or more and finally ended it by telling the story of a common drunkard out in illinois who had been induced by his friends time and again to join the temperance society but had always broken away he was finally gathered up again and given notice that if he violated his pledge once more they would abandon him as an utterly hopeless vagrant he made an earnest struggle to maintain his promise and finally he called for lemonade and said to the man who was preparing it couldn't you put just a drop of the crater in unbeknownst to me after telling the story lincoln simply added if these men could get away from the country unbeknownst to us it might save a world of trouble all understood precisely what lincoln meant although he had given expression in the most cautious manner possible and the controversy was ended lincoln differed from professional humorists in the fact that he never knew when he was going to be humorous it bubbled up on the most unexpected occasions and often unsettled the most carefully studied arguments i have many times been with him when he gave no sign of humor and those who saw him under such conditions would naturally suppose that he was incapable of a humorous expression at other times he would effervesce with humor and always of the most exquisite and impressive nature his humor was never strained his stories never stale and even if old the application he made of them gave them the freshness of originality i recall sitting beside him in the white house one day when a message was brought to him 
telling of the capture of several brigadier generals and a number of horses somewhere out in virginia he read the dispatch and then in an apparently soliloquizing mood said sorry for the horses i can make brigadier generals there are many who believe that mr lincoln loved to tell obscene or profane stories but they do great injustice to one of the purest and best men i have ever known his humor must be judged by the environment that aided in its creation as a prominent lawyer who traveled the circuit in illinois he was much in the company of his fellow lawyers who spent their evenings in the rude taverns of what was then almost frontier life the western people thus thrown together with but limited resources of culture and enjoyment logically cultivated the storyteller and lincoln proved to be the most accomplished in that line of all the members of the illinois bar they had no private rooms for study and the evenings were always spent in the common bar-room of the tavern where western wit often vulgar or profane was freely indulged in and the best of them at times told stories which were somewhat broad but even while thus indulging in humor that would grate harshly upon severely refined hearers they despised the vulgarian none despised vulgarity more than lincoln i have heard him tell at one time or another almost all or quite all of the stories he told during his presidential term and there were very few of them which might not have been repeated in a parlor and none descended to obscene vulgar or profane expressions i have never known a man of purer instincts than abraham lincoln and his appreciation of all that was beautiful and good was of the highest order it was fortunate for mr lincoln that he frequently sought relief from the fearfully oppressive duties which bore so heavily upon him he had immediately about him a circle of men with whom he could be at home in the white house any evening as he was with his old-time friends on the illinois circuit david davis was one upon whom he most relied as an adviser and leonard sweat was probably one of his closest friends while ward layman whom he made marshal of the district of columbia to have him by his side was one with whom he felt entirely at home davis was one of a more sober order but loved lincoln's humor although utterly incapable of a humorous expression himself sweat was ready with lincoln to give and take in storyland as was layman and either of them and sometimes all of them often dropped in upon lincoln and gave him an hour's diversion from his exacting cares they knew that he needed it and they sought him for the purpose of diverting him from what they feared was an excessive strain his devotion to layman was beautiful i well remember at harrisburg on the night of february twenty two eighteen sixty one when at a dinner given by governor curtin to mr lincoln then on his way to washington we decided against the protest of lincoln that he must change his route to washington and make the memorable midnight journey to the capital it was thought to be best that but one man should accompany him and he was asked to choose there were present of this suite colonel sumner afterwards one of the heroic generals of the war norman b judd who was chairman of the republican state committee of illinois colonel layman and others 
and he promptly chose Colonel Lehman, who alone accompanied him on his journey from Harrisburg to Philadelphia, and thence to Washington. Before leaving the room, Governor Curtin asked Colonel Lehman whether he was armed, and he answered by exhibiting a brace of fine pistols, a huge bowie knife, a blackjack, and a pair of brass knuckles. Curtin answered, You'll do and they were started on their journey after all the telegraph wires had been cut we awaited through what seemed almost an endless night until the east was purpled with the coming of another day when colonel scott who had managed the whole scheme reunited the wires and soon received from colonel Lehman this dispatch plums delivered nuts safely which gave us the intensely gratifying information that lincoln had arrived in washington of all the presidents of the united states and indeed of all the great statesmen who have made their indelible impress upon the policy of the republic abraham lincoln stands out single and alone in his individual qualities he had little experience in statesmanship when he was called to the presidency he had only a few years of service in the state legislature of illinois and a single term in congress ending twelve years before he became president but he had to grapple with the gravest problem ever presented to the statesmanship of the nation for solution and he met each and all of them in turn with the most consistent mastery and settled them so successfully that all have stood unquestioned until the present time and are certain to endure while the republic lives in this he surprised not only his own cabinet and the leaders of his party who had little confidence in him when he first became president but equally surprised the country and the world he was patient tireless and usually silent when great conflicts raged about him to solve the appalling problems which were present at various stages of the war for determination and when he reached his conclusion he was inexorable the wrangles of faction and the jostling of ambition were compelled to bow when lincoln had determined upon his line of duty he was much more than a statesman he was one of the most sagacious politicians i have ever known although he was entirely unschooled in the machinery by which political results are achieved his judgment of men was next to unerring and when results were to be attained he knew the men who should be assigned to the task, and he rarely made a mistake. I remember one occasion when he summoned Colonel Forney and myself to confer on some political problem. He opened the conversation by saying, You know that I never was much of a conniver. I don't know the methods of political management, and I can only trust to the wisdom of leaders to accomplish what is needed. Lincoln's public acts are familiar to every schoolboy of the nation but his personal attributes which are so strangely distinguished from the attributes of other great men are now the most interesting study of young and old throughout our land and i can conceive of no more acceptable presentation to the public than a compilation of anecdote and incidents pertaining to the life of the greatest of all our presidents a k mcclure lincoln and mcclure from Harper's Weekly, April 13, 1901. Colonel Alexander K. McClure, the editorial director of the Philadelphia Times, 
which he founded in 1875, began his forceful career as a tanner's apprentice in the mountains of Pennsylvania threescore years ago. He tanned hides all day and read exchanges nights in the neighboring weekly newspaper office. The learned tanner's boy also became the aptest inner in the county, and the editor testified his admiration for young McClure's attainments by sending him to edit a new weekly paper, which the exigencies of politics called into being in an adjoining county. The lad was over six feet high and had the thews of Ajax and the voice of Boanerges and knew enough about shoe leather not to be afraid of any man that stood in it. He made his paper a success, went into politics, and made that a success, studied law with William McClellan, and made that a success, and actually went into the army, and made that a success by an interesting accident which brought him into close personal relations with Abraham Lincoln, whom he had helped to nominate, serving as chairman of the Republican State Committee of Pennsylvania through the campaign. In 1862, the government needed troops badly, and in each Pennsylvania county, Republicans and Democrats were appointed to assist in the enrollment under the state laws. McClure, working day and night at Harrisburg, saw conscripts coming in at the rate of a thousand a day, only to fret in idleness against the army red tape, which held them there instead of sending a regiment a day to the front, as McClure demanded should be done. The military officer continued to dispatch two companies a day, leaving the mass of the conscripts to be fed by the contractors. McClure went to Washington and said to the president, You must send a mustering officer to Harrisburg, who will do as I say. I can't stay there any longer under existing conditions. Lincoln went into another room for Adjutant General Thomas general said he what is the highest rank of military officer at harrisburg captain sir said thomas bring me a commission for an assistant adjutant general of the united states army said lincoln so adjutant general mcclure was mustered in and after that a regiment a day of boys in blue left harrisburg for the front colonel mcclure is one of the group of great celt american editors which included medell mcculloch and mclean end of introductory essays part one of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part one lincoln asked to be shot lincoln was naturally enough much surprised one day when a man of rather forbidding countenance drew a revolver and thrust the weapon almost into his face in such circumstances abe at once concluded that any attempt at debate or argument was a waste of time and words what seems to be the matter inquired lincoln with all the calmness and self-possession he could muster well replied the stranger who did not appear at all excited some years ago i swore an oath that if i ever came across an uglier man than myself i'd shoot him on the spot a feeling of relief evidently took possession of lincoln at this rejoinder as the expression upon his countenance lost all suggestion of anxiety 
shoot me he said to the stranger for if i am an uglier man than you i don't want to live time lost didn't count thurlow weed the veteran journalist and politician once related how when he was opposing the claims of montgomery blair who aspired to a cabinet appointment that mr lincoln inspired of mr weed whom he would recommend henry winter davis was the response david davis i see has been posting you up on this question retorted lincoln he has davis on the brain i think maryland must be a good state to move from the president then told a story of a witness in court in a neighboring county who on being asked his age replied sixty being satisfied he was much older the question was repeated and on receiving the same answer the court admonished the witness saying the court knows you to be much older than sixty oh i understand now was the rejoinder you're thinking of those ten years i spent on the eastern shore of maryland that was so much time lost and didn't count blair was made postmaster general no vices no virtues lincoln always took great pleasure in relating this yarn writing at one time in a stage with an old kentuckian who was returning from missouri lincoln excited the old gentleman's surprise by refusing to accept either of tobacco or french brandy when they separated that afternoon the kentuckian to take another stage bound for louisville he shook his hand warmly with lincoln and said good-humouredly see here stranger you're a clever but strange companion i may never see you again and i don't want to offend you but i want to say this my experience has taught me that a man who has no vices has damned few virtues good day lincoln's dues miss todd afterward mrs lincoln had a keen sense of the ridiculous and wrote several articles in the springfield illinois journal reflecting severely upon general james shields who won fame in the mexican and civil wars and was united states senator from three states then auditor of state lincoln assumed the authorship and was challenged by shields to meet him on the field of honor meanwhile miss todd increased shields ire by writing another letter to the paper in which she said i hear the way of these fire-eaters is to give the challenged party the choice of weapons which being the case i'll tell you in confidence that i never fight with anything but broomsticks or hot water or a shovelful of coals the former of which being somewhat like a shillelagh may not be objectionable to him lincoln accepted the challenge and selected broadswords as the weapons judge herndon lincoln's law partner gives the closing of this affair as follows the laws of illinois prohibited dueling and lincoln demanded that the meeting should be outside the state shields undoubtedly knew that lincoln was opposed to fighting a duel that his moral sense would revolt at the thought and that he would not be likely to break the law by fighting in the state possibly he thought lincoln would take a humble apology shields was brave but foolish and would not listen to overtures for explanation it was arranged that the meeting should be in missouri opposite alton they proceeded to the place selected but friends interfered and there was no duel 
there is little doubt that the man who had swung a beetle and driven iron wedges into gnarled hickory logs could have cleft the skull of his antagonist but he had no such intention he repeatedly said to the friends of shields that in writing the first article he had no thought of anything personal the auditor's vanity had been sorely wounded by the second letter in regard to which lincoln could not make any explanation except that he had had no hand in writing it the affair set all springfield to laughing at shields done with the bible lincoln never told a better story than this a country meeting-house that was used once a month was quite a distance from any other house the preacher an old-line baptist was dressed in coarse linen pantaloons and shirt of the same material the pants manufactured after the old fashion with baggy legs and a flap in the front were made to attach to his frame with the aid of suspenders a single button held his shirt in position and that was at the collar he rose up in the pulpit and with a loud voice announced his text thus i am the christ whom i shall represent to-day about this time a little blue lizard ran up his roomy pantaloons the old preacher not wishing to interrupt the steady flow of his sermon slapped away on his leg expecting to arrest the intruder but his efforts were unavailing and the little fellow kept on ascending higher and higher continuing the sermon the preacher loosened the central button which graced the waistband of his pantaloons and with a kick off came that easy-fitting garment but meanwhile mr lizard had passed the equatorial line of the waistband and was calmly exploring that part of the preacher's anatomy which lay beneath the back of his shirt things were now growing interesting but the sermon was still grinding on the next movement on the preacher's part was for the collar button and with one sweep of his arm off came the toe linen shirt the congregation sat for an instant as if dazed at length one old lady in the rear part of the room rose up and glancing at the excited object in the pulpit shouted at the top of her voice if you represent christ then i'm done with the bible his knowledge of human nature once when lincoln was pleading a case the opposing lawyer had all the advantage of the law the weather was warm and his opponent as was admissible in frontier courts pulled off his coat and vest as he grew warm in the argument at that time shirts with buttons behind were unusual lincoln took in the situation at once knowing the prejudices of the primitive people against pretension of all sorts or any affectation of superior social rank arising he said gentlemen of the jury having justice on my side i don't think you will be at all influenced by the gentleman's pretended knowledge of the law when you see he does not even know which side of his shirt should be in front there was a general laugh and lincoln's case was won a mischievous ox president lincoln once told the following story of colonel w who had been elected to the legislature and had also been judge of the county court his elevation however had made him somewhat pompous and he became very fond of using big words on his farm he had a very large and mischievous ox called big brindle which very frequently broke down his neighbor's fences and committed other depredations much to the colonel's annoyance 
one morning after breakfast in the presence of lincoln who had stayed with him overnight and who was on his way to town he called his overseer and said to him mr allen i desire you to impound big brindle in order that i may hear no animadversions on his eternal depredations allen bowed and walked off sorely puzzled to know what the colonel wanted him to do after colonel w left for town he went to his wife and asked her what the colonel meant by telling him to impound the ox why he meant to tell you to put him in a pen said she allen left to perform the feat for it was no inconsiderable one as the animal was wild and vicious but after a great deal of trouble and vexation succeeded well said he wiping the perspiration from his brow and soliloquizing this is impounding is it now i am dead sure that the colonel will ask me if i impounded big brindle and i'll bet i puzzle him as he did me the next day the colonel gave a dinner party and as he was not aristocratic allen the overseer sat down with the company after the second or third glass was discussed the colonel turned to the overseer and said ah, mr allen did you impound a big brindle sir allen straightened himself and looking around at the company replied uh, yes i did sir but old brindle transcended the impanel of the impound and slaughter schlippicated all over the equanimity of the forest the company burst into an immoderate fit of laughter while the colonel's face reddened with discomfiture what do you mean by that sir demanded the colonel why i mean colonel replied allen that old brindle being prognosticated with an idea of the cholera ripped and teared snorted and pawed dirt jumped the fence tucked to the woods and would not be impounded nohow this was too much the company roared again and the colonel being forced to join in the laughter and in the midst of the jollity allen left the table saying to himself as he went i reckon the colonel won't ask me to impound any more oxen the presidential chin fly some of mr lincoln's intimate friends once called his attention to a certain member of his cabinet who was quietly working to secure a nomination for the presidency although knowing that mr lincoln was to be a candidate for re-election his friends insisted that the cabinet officer ought to be made to give up his presidential aspirations or be removed from office the situation reminded mr lincoln of a story my brother and i he said were once ploughing corn i driving the horse and he holding the plough the horse was lazy but on one occasion he rushed across the field so that i with my long legs could scarcely keep pace with him on reaching the end of the furrow i found an enormous chin fly fastened upon him and knocked him off my brother asked me what i did that for i told him i didn't want the old horse bitten in that way why said my brother that's all that made him go now said mr lincoln if mr blank has a presidential chin fly biting him i'm not going to knock him off if it will only make his department go squire bagley's precedent mr t w s kidd of springfield says that he once heard a lawyer opposed to lincoln trying to convince a jury that precedent was superior to law and that custom made things legal in all cases when lincoln arose to answer him he told the jury he would argue his case in the same way old squire bagley from meenard came into my office and said lincoln i want your advice as a lawyer 
as a man what's been elected justice of the peace a right to issue a marriage license i told him he had not when the old squire threw himself back in his chair very indignantly and said lincoln i thought you was a lawyer now bob thomas and me had a bet on this thing and we agreed to let you decide but if this is your opinion i don't want it for i know a thundering sight better for i have been squire now for eight years and have done it all the time he'd need his gun when the president early in the war was anxious about the defenses of washington he told a story illustrating his feelings in the case general scott then commander-in-chief of the united states army had but fifteen hundred men two guns and an old sloop of war the latter anchored in the potomac with which to protect the national capital and the president was uneasy to one of his queries as to the safety of washington general scott had replied it has been ordained mr president that the city shall not be captured by the confederates but we ought to have more men and guns here was the chief executive answer the confederates are not such fools as to let a good chance to capture washington go by and even if it has been ordained that the city is safe i'd feel easier if it were better protected all this reminds me of the old trapper out in the west who had been assured by some city folks who had hired him as a guide that all matters regarding life and death were prearranged it is ordained said one of the party to the old trapper that you are to die at a certain time and no one can kill you before that time if you met a thousand indians and your death had not been ordained for that day you would certainly escape i don't exactly understand this ordained business was the trapper's reply i don't care to run no risk i always have my gun with me so that if i come across some reds i can feel sure that i won't cross the jordan without taking some of them with me now for instance if i met an indian in the woods he drew a bead on me saying too that he wasn't more'n ten feet away and i didn't have nothing to defend myself say it was as bad as that the redskin being dead ready to kill me now even if it had been ordained that the indian saying he was a good shot was to die that very minute and i wasn't what would i do without my gun there you are the president remarked even if it has been ordained that the city of washington will never be taken by the southerners what would we do in case they made an attack upon the place without men and heavy guns kept up the argument judge t lyle dickey of illinois related that when the excitement over the kansas nebraska bill first broke out he was with lincoln and several friends attending court one evening several persons including himself and lincoln were discussing the slavery question judge dickey contended that slavery was an institution which the constitution recognized and which could not be disturbed lincoln argued that ultimately slavery must become extinct after a while said judge dickey we went upstairs to bed there were two beds in our room and i remember that lincoln sat up in his nightshirt on the edge of the bed arguing the point with me at last we went to sleep early in the morning i woke up and there was lincoln half sitting up in bed dicky said he i tell you this nation cannot exist half slave and half free oh lincoln said i go to sleep equine ingratitude president lincoln while eager that the united states troops should be supplied with the most modern and serviceable weapons 
often took occasion to put his foot down upon the mania for experimenting with which some of his generals were afflicted while engaged in these experiments much valuable time was wasted the enemy was left to do as he thought best no battles were fought and opportunities for winning victories allowed to pass the president was an exceedingly practical man and when an invention idea or discovery was submitted to him his first step was to ascertain how any or all of them could be applied in a way to be of benefit to the army as to experimenting with contrivances which to his mind could never be put to practical use he had little patience some of these generals said he experiment so long and so much with new-fangled fancy notions that when they are finally brought to a head they are useless either the time to use them has gone by or the machine when put in operation kills more than it cures one of these generals who has a scheme for condensing rations is willing to swear his life away that his idea when carried to perfection will reduce the cost of feeding the union troops to almost nothing while the soldiers themselves will get so fat that they'll bust out of their uniforms of course uniforms cost nothing and real fat men are more active and vigorous than lean skinny ones but that is getting away from my story there was once an irishman a cabman who had a notion that he could induce his horse to live entirely on shavings the latter he could get for nothing while corn and oats were pretty high priced so he daily lessened the amount of food to the horse substituting shavings for the corn and oats abstracted so that the horse wouldn't know his rations were being cut down however just as he had achieved success in his experiment and the horse had been taught to live without other food than shavings the ungrateful animal up and died and he had to buy another so far as this general referred to is concerned i'm afraid the soldiers will be dead at the time when his experiment is demonstrated as thoroughly successful twas moving day speed who was a prosperous young merchant of springfield reports that lincoln's personal effects consisted of a pair of saddlebags containing two or three law books and a few pieces of clothing riding on a borrowed horse he thus made his appearance in springfield when he discovered that a single bedstead would cost seventeen dollars he said it is probably cheap enough but i have not enough money to pay for it when speed offered to trust him he said if i fail here as a lawyer i will probably never pay you at all then speed offered to share large double bed with him where is your room lincoln asked upstairs said speed pointing from the store leading to his room without saying a word he took his saddlebags on his arm went upstairs set them down on the floor came down again and with a face beaming with pleasure and smiles exclaimed well speed i'm moved abe's hair needed combing by the way remarked president lincoln one day to colonel cannon a close personal friend I can tell you a good story about my hair. When I was nominated at Chicago, an enterprising fellow thought a great many people would like to see how Abe Lincoln looked, and as I had not long before sat for a photograph, the fellow, having seen it, rushed over and bought the negative. 
he at once got no end of woodcuts and so active was their circulation they were soon selling in all parts of the country soon after they reached springfield i heard a boy crying them for sale on the streets here's your likeness of abe lincoln he shouted buy one price only two shillings will look a great deal better when he gets his hair combed would uh, take to the woods secretary of state seward was bothered considerably regarding the complication into which spain had involved the united states government in connection with san domingo and related his troubles to the president negotiations were not proceeding satisfactorily and things were mixed generally we wished to conciliate spain while the negroes had appealed against spanish oppression the president did not to all appearances look at the matter seriously but instead of treating the situation as a grave one remarked that seward's dilemma reminded him of an interview between two negroes in tennessee one was a preacher who with the crude and strange notions of his ignorant race was endeavoring to admonish and enlighten his brother african of the importance of religion and the danger of the future dar are said josh the preacher to rose before you joe and be careful which of these you take narrow am de way dat leads straight to destruction but broad am de way dat leads right to damnation joe opened his eyes with a fright and under the spell of the awful danger before him exclaimed josh take which road you please i shall go true to woods i am not willing concluded the president to assume any new troubles or responsibilities at this time and shall therefore avoid going to the one place with spain or with the negro to the other but shall take to the woods we will maintain an honest and strict neutrality lincoln carried her trunk my first strong impression of mr lincoln says a lady of springfield was made by one of his kind deeds i was going with a little friend for my first trip alone on the railroad cars it was an epoch of my life i had planned for it and dreamed of it for weeks the day i was to go came but as the hour of the train approached the hackman through some neglect failed to call for my trunk as the minutes went on i realized in a panic of grief that i should miss the train i was standing by the gate my hat and gloves on sobbing as if my heart would break when mr lincoln came by why what is the matter he asked and i poured out all my story how big's the trunk there's still time if it isn't too big and he pushed through the gate and up to the door my mother and i took him up to my room where my little old-fashioned trunk stood locked and tied oh he cried wipe your eyes and come on quick and before i knew what he was going to do he had shouldered the trunk was downstairs and striding out of the yard down the street he went fast as his long legs would carry him i trotted behind drying my tears as i went we reached the station in time mr lincoln put me on the train kissed me good-bye and told me to have a good time it was just like him boat had to stop lincoln never failed to take part in all political campaigns in illinois as his reputation as a speaker caused his services to be in great demand as was natural he was often the target at which many of the smart alecks of that period shot their feeble bolts 
but lincoln was so ready with his answers that few of them cared to engage him a second time in one campaign lincoln was frequently annoyed by a young man who entertained the idea that he was a born orator he had a loud voice was full of language and so conceited that he could not understand why the people did not recognize and appreciate his abilities this callow politician delighted in interrupting public speakers and at last lincoln determined to squelch him one night while addressing a large meeting at springfield the fellow became so offensive that abe dropped the threads of his speech and turned his attention to the tormentor i don't object said lincoln to being interrupted with sensible questions but i must say that my boisterous friend does not always make inquiries which properly come under that head he says he is afflicted with headaches at which i don't wonder as it is a well-known fact that nature abhors a vacuum and takes her own way of demonstrating it this noisy friend reminds me of a certain steamboat that used to run on the illinois river it was an energetic boat was always busy when they built it however they made one serious mistake this error being in the relative sizes of the boiler and the whistle the latter was usually busy too and people were aware that it was in existence this particular boiler to which i have reference was a six-foot one and did all that was required of it in the way of pushing the boat along but as the builders of the vessel had made the whistle a six-foot one the consequence was that every time the whistle blew the boat had to stop end of part one part two of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part two mcclellan's special talent president lincoln one day remarked to a number of personal friends who had called upon him at the white house general mcclellan's tardiness and unwillingness to fight the enemy or follow up advantages gains reminds me of a man back in illinois who knew a few law phrases but whose lawyer lacked aggressiveness the man finally lost all patience and springing to his feet vociferated why don't you go at him with a fee fi a demurrer a capias a suraberta or a na exet or something or a nundum pactum or a non est i wish mcclellan would go at the enemy with something i don't care what general mcclellan is a pleasant and scholarly gentleman he is an admirable engineer but he seems to have a special talent for a stationary engine how jake got away one of the last if not the very last story told by president lincoln was to one of his cabinet who came to see him to ask if it would be proper to permit jake thompson to slip through maine in disguise and embark for portland the president as usual was disposed to be merciful and to permit the arch rebel to pass unmolested but secretary stanton urged that he should be arrested as a traitor by permitting him to escape the penalties of treason persisted the war secretary you sanction it well replied mr lincoln let me tell you a story there was an irish soldier here last summer who wanted something to drink stronger than water and stopped at a drug shop where he espied a soda fountain 
mr doctor said he give me please a glass of soda water and if you was can put a few drops of whiskey unbeknownst to any one i'd be obliged now continued mr lincoln if jake thompson is permitted to go through maine unbeknownst to any one what's the harm so don't have him arrested more light and less noise the president was bothered to death by those persons who boisterously demanded that the war be pushed vigorously also those who shouted their advice and opinions into his weary ears but who never suggested anything practical these fellows were not in the army nor did they ever take any interest in a personal way in military matters except when engaged in dodging drafts that reminds me remarked mr lincoln one day of a farmer who lost his way on the western frontier night came on and the embarrassments of his position were increased by a furious tempest which suddenly burst upon him to add to his discomfort his horse had given out leaving him exposed to all the dangers of the pitiless storm the peals of thunder were terrific the frequent flashes of lightning affording the only guide on the road as he resolutely trudged onward leading his jaded steed the earth seemed fairly to tremble beneath him in the war of the elements one bolt threw him suddenly upon his knees our traveller was not a prayerful man but finding himself involuntarily brought to an attitude of devotion he addressed himself to the throne of grace in the following prayer for his deliverance o oh god hear my prayer this time for thou knowest it is not often that i call upon thee and o oh lord if it is all the same to thee give us a little more light and a little less noise i wish the president said sadly that there was a stronger disposition manifested on the part of our civilian warriors to unite in suppressing the rebellion and a little less noise as to how and by whom the chief executive office shall be administered one bullet and a hatful lincoln made the best of everything and if he couldn't get what he wanted he took what he could get in matters of policy while president he acted according to this rule he would take perilous chances even when the result was to the minds of his friends not worth the risk he had run one day at a meeting of the cabinet it being at the time when it seemed as though war with england and france could not be avoided secretary of state seward and secretary of war stanton warmly advocated that the united states maintain an attitude the result of which would have been a declaration of hostilities by the european powers mentioned why take any more chances than are absolutely necessary asked the president we must maintain our honor at any cost insisted secretary seward we would be branded as cowards before the entire world secretary stanton said but why run the greater risk when we can take a smaller one queried the president calmly the less risk we run the better for us that reminds me of a story i heard a day or two ago the hero of which was on the firing line during a recent battle where the bullets were flying thick finally his courage gave way entirely and throwing down his gun he ran for dear life as he was flying along at top speed he came across an officer who drew his revolver and shouted go back to your regiment at once or i will shoot you shoot and be hanged the racer exclaimed what's one bullet to a whole hatful
lincoln's story to peace commissioners among the reminiscences of lincoln left by editor henry j raymond is the following among the stories told by lincoln which is freshest in my mind one which he related to me shortly after its occurrence belongs to the history of the famous interview on board the river queen at hampton roads between himself and secretary seward and the rebel peace commissioners it was reported at the time that the president told a little story on that occasion and the inquiry went round among the newspapers what was it the new york herald published what purported to be a version of it but the point was entirely lost and it attracted no attention being in washington a few days subsequent to the interview with the commissioners my previous sojourn there having terminated about the first of last august i asked mr lincoln one day if it was true that he had told stevens hunter and campbell a story why yes he replied manifesting some surprise but has it leaked out i was in hopes nothing would be said about it lest some oversensitive people should imagine there was a degree of levity in the intercourse between us he then went on to relate the circumstances which called it out you see said he we had reached and were discussing the slavery question mr hunter said substantially that the slaves always accustomed to an overseer and to work upon compulsion suddenly freed as they would be if the south should consent to peace on the basis of the emancipation proclamation would precipitate not only themselves but the entire southern society into irremediable ruin no work would be done nothing would be cultivated and both blacks and whites would starve said the president i waited for seward to answer that argument but as he was silent i at length said mr hunter you ought to know a great deal better about this argument than i for you have always lived under the slave system i can only say in reply to your statement of the case that it reminds me of a man out in illinois by the name of case who undertook a few years ago to raise a very large herd of hogs it was a great trouble to feed them and how to get around this was a puzzle to him at length he hit on the plan of planting an immense field of potatoes and when they were sufficiently grown he turned the whole herd into the field and let them have full swing thus saving not only the labor of feeding the hogs but also that of digging the potatoes charmed with his sagacity he stood one day leaning against the fence counting his hogs when a neighbor came along well well said he mr case this is all very fine your hogs are doing very well just now but you know out here in illinois the frost comes early and the ground freezes for a foot deep then what are you going to do this was a view of the matter which mr case had not taken into account butchering time for hogs was way on in december or january he scratched his head and at length stammered well it may come pretty hard on their snouts but i don't see but that it will be root hog or die abe got the worst of it when lincoln was a young lawyer in illinois he and a certain judge once got to bantering one another about trading horses and it was agreed that the next morning at nine o'clock they would make a trade the horses to be unseen up to that hour and no backing out under a forfeiture of twenty-five dollars at the hour appointed the judge came up leading the sorriest-looking specimen of a horse ever seen in those parts 
in a few minutes mr lincoln was seen approaching with a wooden sawhorse upon his shoulders great were the shouts and laughter of the crowd and both were greatly increased when lincoln on surveying the judge's animal set down his sawhorse and exclaimed well judge this is the first time i ever got the worst of it in a horse trade it depended upon his condition the president had made arrangements to visit new york and was told that president garrett of the baltimore and ohio railroad would be glad to furnish a special train oh i don't doubt it a bit remarked the president for i know mr garrett and like him very well and if i believed which i don't by any means all the things some people say about his success principles he might say to you as was said by the superintendent of a certain railroad to a son of one of my predecessors in office some two years after the death of president harrison the son of his successor in this office wanted to take his father on an excursion somewhere or other and went to the superintendent's office to order a special train this superintendent was a whig of the most uncompromising sort who hated a democrat more than all other things on the earth and promptly refused the young man's request his language being to the effect that this particular railroad was not running special trains for the accommodation of presidents of the united states just at that season the son of the president was much surprised and exceedingly annoyed why he said you have run special presidential trains and i know it didn't you furnish a special train for the funeral of president harrison certainly we did calmly replied the superintendent with no relaxation of his features and if you will only bring your father here in the same shape as general harrison was you shall have the best train on the road when the laughter had subsided the president said i shall take pleasure in accepting mr garrett's offer as i have no doubts whatever as to his loyalty to the united states government or his respect for the occupant of the presidential office got down to the raisins a b chandler chief of the telegraph office at the war department occupied three rooms one of which was called the president's room so much of his time did mr lincoln spend there here he would read over the telegrams received for the several heads of departments three copies of all messages received were made one for the president one for the war department records and one for secretary stanton mr chandler told a story as to the manner in which the president read the dispatches president lincoln's copies were kept in what we called the president's drawer of the cipher desk he would come in at any time of the night or day and go at once to this drawer and take out a file of telegrams and began at the top to read them his position in running over these telegrams was sometimes very curious he had a habit of sitting frequently on the edge of his chair with his right knee dragged down to the floor i remember a curious expression of his when he got to the bottom of the new telegrams and began on those he had read before it was well i guess i've got down to the raisins the first two or three times he said this he made no explanation and i did not ask one but one day after he had made the remark he looked up under his eyebrows at me with a funny twinkle in his eyes and said i used to know a little girl out west who sometimes was inclined to eat too much one day she ate a good many more raisins than she ought to and followed them up with a quantity of other goodies 
they made her very sick after a time the raisins began to come she gasped and looked at her mother and said well i will be better now i guess for i've got down to the raisins honest abe swallows his enemies honest abe taking them on the half shell was one of the cartoons published in eighteen sixty by one of the illustrated periodicals as may be seen it represents lincoln in a political oyster house preparing to swallow two of his democratic opponents for the presidency douglas and breckinridge he performed the feat at the november election the democratic party was hopelessly split in 1860 the northern wing nominated stephen a douglas of illinois as their candidate the southern wing naming john c breckinridge of kentucky the constitutional unionist the old american of know nothing party placed john bell of tennessee in the field and against these was put abraham lincoln who received the support of the abolitionist lincoln made short work of his antagonist when the election came round he received a large majority in the electoral college while nearly every northern state voted majorities for him at the polls douglas had but twelve votes in the electoral college while bell had thirty-nine the votes of the southern states then preparing to secede were for the most part thrown for breckinridge the popular vote was lincoln one million eight hundred and fifty seven thousand six hundred and ten douglas one million three hundred and sixty five thousand nine hundred and seventy six breckinridge eight hundred and forty seven thousand nine hundred and fifty three bell five hundred and ninety thousand six hundred and thirty one total votes four million six hundred and sixty two thousand one hundred and seventy in the electoral college lincoln received a hundred and eighty douglas twelve breckinridge seventy two bell thirty nine lincoln's majority overall fifty seven saving his wind judge h w beckwith of danville illinois said that soon after the ottawa debate between lincoln and douglas he passed the shinnery house then the principal hotel in springfield the lobby was crowded with partisan leaders from various sections of the state and mr lincoln from his greater height was seen above the surging mass that clung about him like a swarm of bees to their ruler the day was warm and at the first chance he broke away and came out for a little fresh air wiping the sweat from his face as he passed the door he saw me said judge beckwith and taking my hand inquired for the health and views of his friends over in vermilion county he was assured they were wide awake and further told that they looked forward to the debate between him and senator douglas with deep concern from the shadow that went quickly over his face the pained look that came to give way quickly to a blaze of eyes and quiver of lips i felt that mr lincoln had gone beneath my mere words and caught my inner and current fears as to the result and then in a forgiving jocular way peculiar to him he said sit down i have a moment to spare and will tell you a story having been on his feet for some time he sat on the end of the stone step leading into the hotel door while i stood closely fronting him you have he continued seen two men about to fight yes many times well one of them brags about what he means to do he jumps high in the air cracking his heels together smites his fist and waits his breath trying to scare somebody you see the other fella he says not a word 
here mr lincoln's voice and manner changed to great earnestness and repeating you see the other man says not a word his arms are at his sides his fists are closely doubled up his head is drawn to the shoulder and his teeth are set firmly together he is saving his wind for the fight and as sure as it comes off he will win it or die a trying right for once anyhow where men bred in courts accustomed to the world or versed in diplomacy would use some subterfuge or would make a polite speech or give a shrug of the shoulders as the means of getting out of an embarrassing position lincoln raised a laugh by some bold west country anecdote and moved off in the cloud of merriment produced by the joke when attorney general bates was remonstrating apparently against the appointment of some indifferent lawyer to a place of judicial importance the president interposed with oh come now bates he's not half as bad as you think besides that i must tell you he did me a good turn long ago when i took to the law i was going to court one morning with some ten or twelve miles of bad road before me and i had no horse the judge overtook me in his carriage hello lincoln are you not going to the courthouse come in and i will give you a seat well i got in and the judge went on reading his papers presently the carriage struck a stump on one side of the road then it hopped off to the other i looked out and i saw the driver was jerking from side to side in his seat so i says judge i think your coachman has been taking a little too much this morning well i declare lincoln said he i should not much wonder if you were right for he has nearly upset me half a dozen times since starting so putting his head out of the window he shouted why you infernal scoundrel you are drunk upon which pulling up his horses and turning round with great gravity the coachman said begorra that's the first rightful decision that you have given for the last twelve month while the company were laughing the president beat a quiet retreat from the neighborhood pity the poor orphan after the war was well on and several battles had been fought a lady from alexandria asked the president for an order to release a certain church which had been taken for a federal hospital the president said he could do nothing as the post-surgeon at alexandria was immovable and then asked the lady why she did not donate money to build a hospital we have been very much embarrassed by the war she replied and our estates are much hampered you are not ruined asked the president no sir but we do not feel that we should give up anything we have left the president after some reflection then said there are more battles yet to be fought and i think god would prefer that your church be devoted to the care and alleviation of the sufferings of our poor fellows so madam you will excuse me i can do nothing for you afterward in speaking of this incident president lincoln said that the lady as a representative of her class in alexandria reminded him of the story of the young man who had an aged father and mother owning considerable property the young man being an only son and believing that the old people had outlived their usefulness assassinated them both he was accused tried and convicted of the murder 
when the judge came to pass sentence upon him and called upon him to give any reason he might have why the sentence of death should not be passed upon him he with great promptness replied that he hoped the court would be lenient upon him because he was a poor orphan bap mcnab's booster it is true that lincoln did not drink never swore was a stranger to smoking and lived a moral life generally but he did like horse racing and chicken fighting new salem illinois where lincoln was clerking was known the neighborhood around as a fast town and the average young man made no very desperate resistance when tempted to join in the drinking and gambling bouts bap mcnab was famous for his ability in both the raising and the purchase of roosters of prime fighting quality and when his birds fought the attendance was large it was because of the flunking of one of bap's roosters that lincoln was enabled to make a point when criticizing mcclellan's unreadiness and lack of energy one night there was a fight on the schedule one of bap mcnab's birds being a contestant bap brought a little red rooster whose fighting qualities had been well advertised for days in advance and much interest was manifested in the outcome as the result of these contests was a generally a quarrel in which each man charging foul play seized his victim they chose lincoln umpire relying not only on his fairness but his ability to enforce his decisions judge herndon in his abraham lincoln says of this notable event i cannot improve on the description furnished me in february eighteen sixty five by one who was present they formed a ring and the time having arrived lincoln with one hand on each hip and in a squatting position cried ready into the ring they tossed their fowls bap's red rooster along with the rest but no sooner had the little beauty discovered what was to be done than he dropped his tail and ran the crowd cheered while bap in disappointment picked him up and started away losing his quarter entrance fee and carrying home his dishonored fowl once arrived at the latter place he threw his pet down with a feeling of indignation and chagrin the little fellow out of sight of all rivals mounted a woodpile and proudly flirting out his feathers crowed with all his might bap looked on in disgust yes you little cuss he exclaimed irreverently you're a great on dress parade but not worth a darn in a fight it is said according to judge herndon that lincoln considered mcclellan as a great on dress parade but not so much in a fight a low-down trick when lincoln was a candidate of the know-nothings for the state legislature the party was overconfident and the democrats pursued a still hunt lincoln was defeated he compared the situation to one of the camp followers of general taylor's army who had secured a barrel of cider erected a tent and commenced selling it to the thirsty soldiers at twenty-five cents a drink but he had sold but little before another sharp one set up a tent at his back and tapped the barrel so as to flow on his side and peddled out number one cider at five cents a drink of course getting the latter's entire trade on the borrowed capital the democrats said mr lincoln had played know-nothing on a cheaper scale than had the real devotees of sam and had raked down his pile with his own cider 
end for end judge h w beckwith of danville illinois in his personal recollections of lincoln tells a story which is a good example of lincoln's way of condensing the law and the facts of an issue in a story a man by vile words first provoked and then made a bodily attack upon another the latter in defending himself gave the other much the worst of the encounter the aggressor to get even had the one who thrashed him tried in our circuit court on a charge of an assault and battery mr lincoln defended and told the jury that his client was in the fix of a man who in going along the highway with a pitchfork on his shoulder was attacked by a fierce dog that ran out at him from a farmer's dooryard in parrying off the brute with the fork its prongs stuck into the brute and killed him what made you kill my dog said the farmer what made him try to bite me but why did you not go at him with the other end of the pitchfork why did he not come after me with his other end at this mr lincoln whirled about in his long arms an imaginary dog and pushed its tail end toward the jury this was the defensive plea of son assault de man loosely that the other fellow brought on the fight quickly told and in a way the dullest mind would grasp and retain end of part two part three of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part three let six skunks go the president had decided to select a new war minister and the leading republican senators thought the occasion was opportune to change the whole seven cabinet ministers they therefore earnestly advised him to make a clean sweep and select seven new men and to restore the waning confidence of the country the president listened with patient courtesy and when the senators had concluded he said with a characteristic gleam of humor in his eye gentlemen your request for a change of the whole cabinet because i have made one change reminds me of a story i once heard in illinois of a farmer who was much troubled by skunks his wife insisted on his trying to get rid of them he loaded his shotgun one moonlit night and awaited developments after some time the wife heard the shotgun go off and in a few minutes the farmer entered the house what luck have you asked she i hid myself behind a woodpile said the old man with the shotgun pointed towards the hen roost and before long there appeared not one skunk but seven i took aim blazed away killed one and he raised such a fearful smell that i concluded it was best to let the other six go the senators laughed and retired how he got blackstone the following story was told by mr lincoln to mr a j conant the artist who painted his portrait in springfield in eighteen sixty one day a man who was migrating to the west drove up in front of my store with a wagon which contained his family and household plunder he asked me if i would buy an old barrel for which he had no room in his wagon and which he said contained nothing of special value i did not want it but to oblige him i bought it and paid him i think half a dollar for it without further examination i put it away in the store and forgot all about it 
some time afterward in overhauling things i came upon the barrel and emptying it upon the floor to see what it contained i found at the bottom of the rubbish a complete edition of blackstone's commentaries i began to read those famous works and i had plenty of time for during the long summer days when the farmers were busy with their crops my customers were few and far between the more i read this he said with unusual emphasis the more intensely interested i became never in my whole life was my mind so thoroughly absorbed i read until i devoured them a job for the new cabinet maker this cartoon labeled a job for the new cabinet maker was printed in frank leslie's illustrated newspaper on february second eighteen sixty one a month and two days before abraham lincoln was inaugurated president of the united states the southern states had seceded from the union the confederacy was established with jefferson davis as its president the union had been split in two and the task lincoln had before him was to glue the two parts of the republic together in his famous speech delivered a short time before his nomination for the presidency by the republican national convention at chicago in eighteen sixty lincoln had said a house divided against itself cannot stand this nation cannot exist half slave and half free after his inauguration as president mr lincoln went to work to glue the two pieces together and after four years of bloody war and at immense cost the job was finished the house of the great american republic was no longer divided the severed sections the north and the south were cemented tightly the slaves were freed peace was firmly established and the union of states was glued together so well that the nation is stronger now than ever before lincoln was just the man for that job and the work he did will last for all time the new cabinet maker knew his business thoroughly and finished his task of gluing in a workmanlike manner at the very moment of its completion five days after the surrender of lee to grant at appomattox the martyr president fell at the hands of the assassin j wilkes booth i can stand if they can united states senator benjamin wade of ohio henry winter davis of maryland and wendell phillips were strongly opposed to president lincoln's re-election and wade and davis issued a manifesto phillips made several warm speeches against lincoln and his policy when asked if he had read the manifesto or any of phillips speeches the president replied i have not seen them nor do i care to see them i have seen enough to satisfy me that i am a failure not only in the opinion of the people in rebellion but of many distinguished politicians of my own party but time will show whether i am right or they are right and i am content to abide its decision i have enough to look after without giving much of my time to the consideration of the subject of who shall be my successor in office the position is not an easy one and the occupant whoever he may be for the next four years will have little leisure to pluck a thorn or plant a rose in his own pathway it was urged that this opposition must be embarrassing to his administration as well as damaging to the party he replied 
yes that is true but our friends wade davis phillips and others are hard to please i am not capable of doing so i cannot please them without wantonly violating not only my oath but the most vital principles upon which our government was founded as to those who like wade and the rest see fit to depreciate my policy and cavil at my official acts i shall not complain of them i accord them the utmost freedom of speech and liberty of the press but shall not change the policy i have adopted in the full belief that i am right i feel on this subject as an old illinois farmer once expressed himself while eating cheese he was interrupted in the midst of his repast by the entrance of his son who exclaimed hold on dad there's skippers in that cheese you're eating never mind tom said he as he kept on munching his cheese if they can stand it i can lincoln mistaken for once president lincoln was compelled to acknowledge that he made at least one mistake in sizing up men one day a very dignified man called at the white house and lincoln's heart fell when his visitor approached the latter was portly his face was full of apparent anxiety and lincoln was willing to wager a year's salary that he represented some society for the easy and speedy repression of rebellions the caller talked fluently but at no time did he give advice or suggest a way to put down the confederacy he was full of humor told a clever story or two and was entirely self-possessed at length the president inquired you are a clergyman are you not sir not by a jugful returned the stranger heartily grasping him by the hand lincoln shook it until the visitor squirmed you must lunch with us i am glad to see you i was afraid you were a preacher i went to the chicago convention the caller said as a friend of mr seward i have watched you narrowly ever since your inauguration and i called merely to pay my respects what i want to say is this i think you are doing everything for the good of the country that is in the power of man to do you are on the right track as one of your constituents i now say to you do in future as you damned please and i will support you this was spoken with tremendous effect why said mr lincoln in great astonishment i took you to be a preacher i thought you'd come here to tell me how to take richmond and he again grasped the hand of his strange visitor accurate and penetrating as mr lincoln's judgment was concerning men for once he had been wholly mistaken the scene was comical in the extreme the two men stood gazing at each other a smile broke from the lips of the solemn wag and rippled over the wide expanse of his homely face like sunlight overspreading a continent and mr lincoln was convulsed with laughter he stayed to lunch forgot everything he knew president lincoln while entertaining a few friends is said to have related the following anecdote of a man who knew too much during the administration of president jackson there was a singular young gentleman employed in the public post office in washington his name was g he was from tennessee the son of a widow a neighbor of the president on which account the old hero had a kind feeling for him and always got him out of difficulties with some of the higher officials to whom his singular interference was distasteful 
among other things it is said of him that while employed in the general post office on one occasion he had to copy a letter to major h a high official in answer to an application made by an old gentleman in virginia or pennsylvania for the establishment of a new post office the writer of the letter said the application could not be granted in consequence of the applicant's proximity to another office when the letter came into g s hand to copy being a great stickler for plainness he altered proximity to nearness to major h observed it and asked g why he altered his letter why replied g because i don't think the man would understand what you meant by proximity well said major h try him put in the proximity again in a few days a letter was received from the applicant in which he very indignantly said that his father had fought for liberty in the second war for independence and he should like to have the name of the scoundrel who brought the charge of proximity or if anything else wrong against him there said g did i not say so g carried his improvement so far that mr barry the postmaster-general said to him i don't want you any longer you know too much poor g went out but his old friend got him another place this time g's ideas underwent a change he was one day very busy writing when a stranger called in and asked him where the patent office was i don't know said g can you tell me where the treasury department is said the stranger no said g nor the president's house no the stranger finally asked him if he knew where the capital was no replied g do you live in washington sir yes sir said g good lord and don't you know where the patent office treasury president's house and capital are stranger said g i was turned out of the post office for knowing too much i don't mean to offend in that way again i am paid for keeping this book i believe i know that much but if you find me knowing anything more you may take my head good morning said the stranger he loved a good story judge brees of the supreme bench one of the most distinguished of american jurists and a man of great personal dignity was about to open court at springfield when lincoln called out in his hearty way hold on brees don't open court yet here's bob blackwell just going to tell a story the judge passed on without replying evidently regarding it as beneath the dignity of the supreme court to delay proceedings for the sake of a story heels ran away with them in an argument against the opposite political party at one time during a campaign lincoln said my opponent uses a figurative expression to the effect that the democrats are vulnerable in the heel but they are sound in the heart and head the first branch of the figure that is the democrats are vulnerable in the heel i admit is not merely figuratively but literally true who that looks but for a moment at their hundreds of officials scampering away with the public money to texas to europe and to every spot of the earth where a villain may hope to find refuge from justice can at all doubt that they are most distressingly affected in their heels with a species of running itch it seems that this malady of their heels operates on the sound-headed and honest-hearted creatures very much as the cork leg in the comic song did on its owner which when he once got started on it the more he tried to stop it the more it would run away 
at the hazard of wearing this point threadbare i will relate an anecdote the situation calls to my mind which seems to be too strikingly in point to be omitted a witty irish soldier who was always boasting of his bravery when no danger was near but who invariably retreated without orders at the first charge of the engagement being asked by his captain why he did so replied captain i have as brave a heart as julius caesar ever had but somehow or other whenever danger approaches my cowardly legs will run away with it so with the opposite party they take the public money into their hands for the most laudable purpose that wise heads and honest hearts can dictate but before they can possibly get it out again their rascally vulnerable heels will run away with them wanted to burn him down to the stump preston king once introduced a j bleeker to the president and the latter being an applicant for office was about to hand mr lincoln his vouchers when he was asked to read them bleeker had not read very far when the president disconcerted him by the exclamation stop a minute you remind me exactly of the man who killed the dog in fact you are just like him in what respect asked bleeker not feeling he had received a compliment well replied the president this man had made up his mind to kill his dog an ugly brute and proceeded to knock out his brains with a club he continued striking the dog after the latter was dead until a friend protested exclaiming you needn't strike him any more the dog is dead you killed him at the first blow oh yes said he i know that but i believe in punishment after death so i see you do bleeker acknowledged it was possible to overdo a good thing and then came back at the president with an anecdote of a good priest who converted an indian from heathenism to christianity the only difficulty he had with him was to get him to pray for his enemies this indian had been taught to overcome and destroy all his friends he didn't like said bleeker but the priest told him that while that might be the indian method it was not the doctrine of christianity or the bible st paul distinctly says the priest told him if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirst give him drink the indian shook his head at this but when the priest added for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head poor lo was overcome with emotion fell on his knees and with outstretched hands and uplifted eyes invoked all sorts of blessings on the heads of all his enemies supplicating for pleasant hunting grounds a large supply of squaws lots of papooses and all other indian comforts finally the good priest interrupted him as you did me mr president exclaiming stop my son you have discharged your christian duty and have done more than enough oh no father replied the indian let me pray i want to burn him down to the stump had a kick coming during the war one of the northern governors who was able earnest and untiring in aiding the administration but always complaining sent dispatch after dispatch to the war office protesting against the methods used in raising troops after reading all his papers the president said in a cheerful and reassuring tone to the adjutant general never mind never mind those dispatches don't mean anything just go right ahead 
the governor is like a boy i once saw at a launching when everything was ready they picked out a boy and sent him under the ship to knock away the trigger and let her go at the critical moment everything depended on the boy he had to do the job well by a direct vigorous blow and then lie flat and keep still while the boat slid over him the boy did everything right but he yelled as if he were being murdered from the time he got under the keel until he got out i thought the hide was all scraped off his back but he wasn't hurt at all the master of the yard told me that this boy was always chosen for that job that he did his work well that he never had been hurt but that he always squealed in that way that's just the way with governor make up your mind that he is not hurt and that he is doing the work right and pay no attention to his squealing he only wants to make you understand how hard his task is and that he is on hand performing it the case of betsy ann doherty many requests and petitions made to mr lincoln when he was president were ludicrous and trifling but he always entered into them with that humor-loving spirit that was such a relief from the grave duties of his great office once a party of southerners called on him in behalf of one betsy ann doherty the spokesman who was an ex-governor said mr president betsy ann doherty is a good woman she lived in my county and did my washing for a long time her husband went off and joined the rebel army and i wish he would give her a protecting paper the solemnity of this appeal struck mr lincoln as uncommonly ridiculous the two men looked at each other the governor desperately earnest and the president masking his humor behind the gravest exterior at last mr lincoln asked with inimitable gravity was betsy ann a good washerwoman oh yes sir she was indeed was your betsy ann an obliging woman yes she was certainly very kind responded the governor soberly could she do other things than wash continued mr lincoln with the same portentous gravity oh yes she was very kind very where is betsy ann she is now in new york and wants to come back to missouri but she is afraid of banishment is anyone meddling with her no but she is afraid to come back unless she will give her a protection paper thereupon mr lincoln wrote on a visiting card the following let betsy ann doherty alone as long as she behaves herself a lincoln he handed this card to her advocate saying give this to betsy ann but mr president couldn't you write a few words to the officers that would ensure her protection no said mr lincoln officers have no time now to read letters tell betsy ann to put a string in this card and hang it around her neck when the officers see this they will keep their hands off your betsy ann had to wear a wooden sword captain abe lincoln and his company in the black hawk war were without any sort of military knowledge and both were forced to acquire such knowledge by attempts at drilling which was the more awkward the squad or the commander it would have been difficult to decide in one of lincoln's earliest military problems was involved the process of getting his company endwise through a gate finally he shouted this company is dismissed for two minutes when it will fall in again on the other side of the gate lincoln was one of the first of his company to be arraigned for unmilitary conduct 
contrary to the rules he fired a gun within the limits and had his sword taken from him the next infringement of rules was by some of the men who stole a quantity of liquor drank it and became unfit for duty straggling out of the ranks the next day and not getting together again until late at night for allowing this lawlessness the captain was condemned to wear a wooden sword for two days these were merely interesting but trivial incidents of the campaign lincoln was from the very first popular with his men although one of them told him to go to the devil abe stirring the black coals under the caption the american difficulty punch printed on may eleventh eighteen sixty one the cartoon reproduced here the following text was placed beneath the illustration president abe what a nice white house this would be if it were not for the blacks it was the idea in england and in fact in all the countries on the european continent that the war of the rebellion was fought to secure the freedom of the negro slaves such was not the case the freedom of the slaves was one of the necessary consequences of the civil war but not the cause of that bloody four years conflict the war was the result of the secession of the states of the south from the union and president abe's main aim was to compel the seceding states to resume their places in the federal union of states the blacks did not bother president abe in the least as he knew he would be enabled to give them their freedom when the proper time came he had the project of freeing them in his mind long before he issued his emancipation proclamation the delay in promulgating that document being due to the fact that he did not wish to estrange the hundreds of thousands of patriots of the border states who were fighting for the preservation of the union and not for the freedom of the negro slaves president abe had patience and everything came out all right in the end getting rid of an elephant charles a dana who was assistant secretary of war under mr stanton relates the following a certain thompson had been giving the government considerable trouble dana received information that thompson was about to escape to liverpool calling upon stanton dana was referred to mr lincoln the president was at the white house business hours were over lincoln was washing his hands hello dana said he as he opened the door what is it now well sir i said here is the provost marshal of portland who reports that jacob thompson is to be in town to-night and inquires what orders we have to give what does stanton say he asked arrest him i replied well he continued drawing his words i rather guess not when you have an elephant on your hands and he wants to run away better let him run grotesque yet frightful the nearest lincoln ever came to a fight was when he was in the vicinity of the skirmish at kellogg's grove in the black hawk war the rangers arrived at the spot after the engagement and helped bury the five men who were killed lincoln told noah brooks one of his biographers that he remembered just how those men looked as we rode up the little hill where their camp was the red light of the morning sun was streaming upon them as they lay heads toward us on the ground and every man had a round red spot at the top of his head about as big as a dollar where the redskins had taken his scalp 
it was frightful but it was grotesque and the red sunlight seemed to paint everything all over lincoln paused as if recalling the vivid picture and added somewhat irrelevantly i remember that one man had on buckskin breeches abe was no dude always indifferent in matters of dress lincoln cut but small figure in social circles even in the earliest days of illinois his trousers were too short his hat too small and as a rule the buttons on the back of his coat were nearer his shoulder blades than his waist no man was richer than his fellows and there was no aristocracy the women wore linsey woolsey of home manufacture and dyed them in accordance with the tastes of the wearers calico was rarely seen and a woman wearing a dress of that material was the envy of her sisters there being no shoemakers the women wore moccasins and the men made their own boots a hunting shirt leggings made of skins buckskin breeches dyed green constituted an apparel no maiden could withstand characteristic of lincoln one man who knew lincoln at new salem says the first time he saw him he was lying on a trundle bed covered with books and papers and rocking a cradle with his foot the whole scene was entirely characteristic lincoln reading and studying and at the same time helping his landlady by quieting her child a gentleman who knew mr lincoln well in early manhood says lincoln at this period had nothing but plenty of friends after the customary handshaking on one occasion in the white house at washington several gentlemen came forward and asked the president for his autograph one of them gave his name as crookshank that reminds me said mr lincoln of what i used to be called when a young man longshank plow all around him governor blank went to the war department one day in a towering rage i suppose you found it necessary to make large concessions to him as he returned from you perfectly satisfied suggested a friend oh no the president replied i did not concede anything you have heard how that illinois farmer got rid of a big log that was too big to haul out too knotty to split and too wet and soggy to burn well now said he in response to the inquiries of his neighbors one sunday as to how he got rid of it well now boys if you won't divulge the secret i'll tell you how i got rid of it i plowed around it now remarked lincoln in conclusion don't tell anybody but that's the way i got rid of governor blank i plowed all around him but it took me three mortal hours to do it and i was afraid every minute he'd see what i was at End of part three. Part four of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four I've Lost My Apple. During a public reception, a farmer from one of the border counties of Virginia told the president that the Union soldiers, in passing his farm, had helped themselves not only to hay, but to his horse, and he hoped the president would urge the proper officer to consider his claim immediately. Mr. Lincoln said that this reminded him of an old acquaintance of his, Jack Chase, a lumberman on the Illinois, a steady sober man, and the best raftsman on the river it was quite a trick to take the logs over the rapids 
but he was skillful with a raft and always kept her straight in the channel finally a steamer was put on and jack was made captain of her he always used to take the wheel going through the rapids one day when the boat was plunging and wallowing along the boiling current and jack's utmost vigilance was being exercised to keep her in the narrow channel a boy pulled his coat-tail and hailed him with say mr captain i wish you would just stop your boat a minute i've lost my apple overboard lost his certificate of character mr lincoln prepared his first inaugural address in a room over a store in springfield his only reference works were henry clay's great compromise speech of eighteen fifty andrew jackson's proclamation against nullification webster's great reply to hayne and a copy of the constitution when mr lincoln started for washington to be inaugurated the inaugural address was placed in a special satchel and guarded with special care at harrisburg the satchel was given in charge of robert t lincoln who accompanied his father before the train started from harrisburg the precious satchel was missing robert thought he had given it to a waiter at the hotel but a long search failed to reveal the missing satchel with its precious document lincoln was annoyed angry and finally in despair he felt certain that the address was lost beyond recovery and as it only lacked ten days until the inauguration he had no time to prepare another he had not even preserved the notes from which the original copy had been written mr lincoln went to ward lamon his former law partner then one of his bodyguards and informed him of the loss in the following words lamon i guess i've lost my certificate of moral character written by myself bob has lost my grip sack containing my inaugural address of course the misfortune reminded him of a story i feel said mr lincoln a good deal as the old member of the methodist church did when he lost his wife at the camp meeting and went up to an old elder of the church and asked him if he could tell him whereabouts in hell his wife was in fact i am in a worse fix than my methodist friend for if it were only a wife that were missing mine would be sure to bob up somewhere the clerk at the hotel told mr lincoln that he would probably find his missing satchel in the baggage room arriving there mr lincoln saw a satchel which he thought was his and it was passed out to him his key fitted the lock but alas when it was opened the satchel contained only a soiled shirt some paper collars a pack of cards and a bottle of whiskey a few minutes later the satchel containing the inaugural address was found among the pile of baggage the recovery of the address also reminded mr lincoln of a story which is thus narrated by ward lamone in his recollections of abraham lincoln the loss of the address and the search for it was the subject of a great deal of amusement mr lincoln said many funny things in connection with the incident one of them was that he knew a fellow once who had saved up fifteen hundred dollars and had placed it in a private banking establishment the bank soon failed and he afterward received ten per cent of his investment he then took his one hundred and fifty dollars and deposited it in a savings bank where he was sure it would be safe in a short time this bank also failed and he received at the final settlement ten per cent on the amount deposited when the fifteen dollars was paid over to him he held it in his hand and looked at it thoughtfully 
and then he said now darn you i have got you reduced to a portable shape so i'll put you in my pocket suiting the action to the word mr lincoln took his address from the bag and carefully placed it in the inside pocket of his vest but held on to the satchel with as much interest as if it still contained his certificate of moral character note presented for payment the great english funny paper london punch printed this cartoon on september twenty seventh eighteen sixty two it is intended to convey the idea that lincoln having asserted that the war would be over in ninety days had not redeemed his word the text under the cartoon in punch was mr south to mr north your ninety-day promissory note isn't taken up yet siree the tone of the cartoon is decidedly unfriendly the north finally took up the note but the south had to pay it punch was not pleased with the result but mr north did not care particularly what this periodical thought about it the united states since then has been prepared to take up all of its obligations when due but it must be acknowledged that at the time this cartoon was published the outlook was rather dark and gloomy lincoln did not despair however but although business was in rather bad shape for a time the financial skies finally cleared business was resumed at the old stand and uncle sam's credit is now as good or better than other nations cash in hand dog was a deedle bit ahead lincoln could not sympathize with those union generals who were prone to indulge in high-sounding promises but whose performances did not by any means come up to their predictions as to what they would do if they ever met the enemy face to face he said one day just after one of these braggarts had been soundly thrashed by the confederates these fellows remind me of the fellow who owned a dog which so he said just hungered and thirsted to combat and eat up wolves it was a difficult matter so the owner declared to keep that dog from devoting the entire twenty-four hours of each day to the destruction of his enemies he just hankered to get at them one day a party of this dog owner's friends thought to have some sport these friends heartily disliked wolves and were anxious to see the dog eat up a few thousand so they organized a hunting party and invited the dog owner and the dog to go with them they desired to be personally present when the wolf killing was in progress it was noticed that the dog owner was not over enthusiastic in the matter he pleaded a business engagement but as he was the most notorious and torpid of the town loafers and wouldn't have recognized a business engagement had he met it face to face his excuse was treated with contempt therefore he had to go the dog however was glad enough to go and so the party started out wolves were in plenty and soon a pack was discovered but when the wolfhound saw the ferocious animals he lost heart and putting his tail between his legs endeavored to slink away at last after many trials he was enticed into the small growth of underbrush where the wolves had secreted themselves and yelps of terror betrayed the fact that the battle was on away flew the wolves the dog among them the hunting party following on horseback the wolves seemed frightened and the dog was restored to public favor it really looked as if he had the savage creatures on the run as he was fighting heroically when last sighted wolves and dogs soon disappeared and it was not until the party arrived at a distant farmhouse 
that news of the combatants was cleaned have you seen anything of a wolf-dog and a pack of wolves around here was the question anxiously put to the male occupant of the house who stood idly leaning upon the gate yep was the short answer how were they going pretty fast what was their position when you saw them well replied the farmer in a most exasperatingly deliberate way the dog was a leetle bit ahead now gentlemen concluded the president that's the position in which you'll find most of these bragging generals when they get into a fight with the enemy that's why i don't like military orators abe's fight with negroes when lincoln was nineteen years of age he went to work for a mr gentry and in company with gentry's son took a flatboat load of provisions to new orleans had a plantation six miles below baton rouge while the boat was tied up to the shore in the dead hours of the night and abe and allen were fast asleep in the bed they were startled by footsteps on board they knew instantly that it was a gang of negroes come to rob and perhaps murder them allen thinking to frighten the negroes called out bring guns lincoln and shoot em abe came without the guns but fell among the negroes with a huge bludgeon and belabored them most cruelly following them onto the bank they rushed back to their boat and hastily put out into the stream it is said that lincoln received a scar in this tussle which he carried with him to his grave it was on this trip that he saw the workings of slavery for the first time the sight of new orleans was like a wonderful panorama to his eyes for never before had he seen wealth beauty fashion and culture he returned home with new and larger ideas and stronger opinions of right and justice noise like a turnip every man has his own peculiar and particular way of getting at and doing things said president lincoln one day and he is often criticized because that way is not the one adopted by others the great idea is to accomplish what you set out to do when a man is successful in whatever he attempts he has many imitators and the methods used are not so closely scrutinized although no man who is of good intent will resort to mean underhanded scurvy tricks that reminds me of a fellow out in illinois who had better luck in getting prairie chickens than any one in the neighborhood he had a rusty old gun no other man dared to handle he never seemed to exert himself being listless and indifferent when after game but he always brought home all the chickens he could carry while some of the others with their finely trained dogs and latest improved fowling pieces came home alone how is it jake inquired one sportsman who although a good shot and knew something about hunting was often unfortunate that you never come home without a lot of birds jake grinned half closed his eyes and replied oh i don't know that there's anything queer about it i just go ahead and get em yes i know you do but how do you do it you'll tell honest jake i won't say a word hope to drop dead this minute never say nothing if i tell you cross my heart three times this reassured jake who put his mouth close to the ear of his eager questioner and said in a whisper all you got to do is just to hide in a fence corner and make a noise like a turnip that'll bring the chickens every time warding off god's vengeance when lincoln was a candidate for re-election to the illinois legislature in eighteen thirty six 
a meeting was advertised to be held in the courthouse in springfield at which candidates of opposing parties were to speak this gave men of spirit and capacity a fine opportunity to show the stuff of which they were made george forkwear was one of the most prominent citizens he had been a whig but became a democrat possibly for the reason that by means of the change he secured the position of government land register from president andrew jackson he had the largest and finest house in the city and there was a new and striking appendage to it called a lightning rod the meeting was very large seven whig and seven democratic candidates spoke lincoln closed the discussion a kentuckian joshua f speed who had heard henry clay and other distinguished kentucky orators stood near lincoln and stated afterward that he never heard a more effective speaker the crowd seemed to be swayed by him as he pleased what occurred during the closing portion of this meeting must be given in full from judge arnold's book forkwer although not a candidate asked to be heard for the democrats in reply to lincoln he was a good speaker and well known throughout the county his special task that day was to attack and ridicule the young countryman from salem turning to lincoln who stood within a few feet of him he said this young man must be taken down and i am truly sorry that the task devolves upon me he then proceeded in a very overbearing way and with an assumption of great superiority to attack lincoln and his speech he was fluent and ready with the rough sarcasm of the stump and he went on to ridicule the person dress and arguments of lincoln with so much success that lincoln's friends feared that he would be embarrassed and overthrown the clary's grove boys were present and were restrained with difficulty from getting up a fight in behalf of their favorite uh, lincoln they and all his friends feeling that the attack was ungenerous and unmanly lincoln however stood calm but his flashing eye and pale cheek indicated his indignation as soon as forquer had closed he took the stand and first answered his opponent's arguments fully and triumphantly so impressive were his words and manner that a hearer joshua f speed believes that he can remember to this day and repeat some of the expressions among other things he said the gentleman commenced his speech by saying that this young man alluding to me must be taken down i am not so young in years as i am in the tricks and trades of a politician but said he pointing to forquer live long or die young i would rather die now than like the gentleman change my politics and with the change receive an office worth three thousand dollars a year and then continued he feel obliged to erect a lightning rod over my house to protect a guilty conscience from an offended god jeff davis and charles the first jefferson davis insisted on being recognized by his official title as commander or president in the regular negotiation with the government this mr lincoln would not consent to mr hunter thereupon referred to the correspondence between king charles i and his parliament as a precedent for a negotiation between a constitutional ruler and rebels mr lincoln's face then wore that indescribable expression which generally preceded his hardest hits and he remarked upon questions of history i must refer you to mr seward 
for he is posted in such things and i don't profess to be but my only distinct recollection of the matter is that charles lost his head loved soldiers humor lincoln loved anything that savored of wit or humor among the soldiers he used to relate two stories to show he said that neither death nor danger could quench the grim humor of the american soldier a soldier of the army of the potomac was being carried to the rear of battle with both legs shot off who seeing a pie woman called out say old lady are them pies sewed or pegged and there was another one of the soldiers at the battle of chancellorsville whose regiment waiting to be called into the fight was taking coffee the hero of the story put to his lips a crockery mug which he had carried with care through several campaigns a stray bullet just missing the tinker's head dashed the mug into fragments and left only the handle on his finger turning his head in that direction he scowled johnny you can't do that again bad time for a barbecue captain t w s kidd of springfield was the crier of the court in the days when mr lincoln used to ride the circuit i was younger than he says captain kidd but he had a sort of admiration for me and never failed to get me into his stories i was a storyteller myself in those days and he used to laugh very heartily at some of the stories i told him now and then he got me into a good deal of trouble i was a democrat and was in politics more or less a good many of our democratic voters at that time were irishmen they came to illinois in the days of the old canal and did their honest share in making that piece of internal improvement an accomplished fact one time mr lincoln told the story of one of those important young fellows not an irishman who lived in every town and have the cares of state on their shoulders this young fellow met an irishman on the street and called to him officiously oh mike i'm awful glad i met you we've got to do something to wake up the boys the campaign is coming on and we've got to get out voters we've just had a meeting up here and we're going to have the biggest barbecue that ever was heard of in illinois we're going to roast two whole oxen and we're going to have douglas and governor cass and someone from kentucky and all the big democratic guns and we're going to have a great big time by dad that's good says the irishman the buys needs to earn up yes and you're on one of the committees and you want to hustle around and get them waked up mike when is the barbecue to be asked mike friday two weeks friday is it well i'll make a nice committeeman settin the barbecue on a day with half of the democratic party of sangamon county can't it abide a mate go on with you lincoln told that story in one of his political speeches and when the laugh was over he said now gentlemen i know that story is true for tom kidd told it to me and then the democrats would make trouble for me for a week afterward and i'd have to explain he'd see it again about two years before lincoln was nominated for the presidency he went to bloomington illinois to try a case of some importance his opponent who afterward reached a high place in his profession was a young man of ability sensible but sensitive and one to whom the loss of a case was a great blow he therefore studied hard and made much preparation this particular case was submitted to the jury late at night and although anticipating a favorable verdict the young attorney spent a sleepless night in anxiety 
early next morning he learned to his great chagrin that he had lost the case lincoln met him in the courthouse some time after the jury had come in and asked him what had become of his case with lugubrious countenance and in a melancholy tone the young man replied it's gone to hell oh well replied lincoln then you will see it again call another witness when arguing a case in court mr lincoln never used a word which the dullest juryman could not understand rarely if ever did a latin term creep into his arguments a lawyer quoting a legal maxim one day in court turned to lincoln and said that is so is it not mr lincoln if that's latin lincoln replied you had better call another witness a contest with little tad mr carpenter the artist relates the following incident some photographers came up to the white house to make some stereoscopic studies for me of the president's office they requested a dark closet in which to develop the pictures and without a thought that i was infringing upon anybody's rights i took them to an unoccupied room of which little tad had taken possession a few days before and with the aid of a couple of servants had fitted up a miniature theatre with stage curtains orchestra stalls parquet and all knowing that the use required would interfere with none of his arrangements i led the way to this apartment everything went on well and one or two pictures had been taken when suddenly there was an uproar the operator came back to the office and said tad had taken great offense at the occupation of his room without his consent and had locked the door refusing all admission the chemicals had been taken inside and there was no way of getting at them he having carried off the key in the midst of this conversation tad burst in in a fearful passion he laid all the blame upon me said that i had no right to use his room and the men should not go in even to get their things he had locked the door and they would not go there again they had no business in his room mr lincoln was sitting for a photograph and was still in the chair he said very mildly tad go and unlock the door tad went off muttering into his mother's room refusing to obey i followed him into the passage but no coaxing would pacify him upon my return to the president i found him still patiently in the chair from which he had not risen he said has not the boy opened the door i replied that we could do nothing with him he had gone off in a great pet mr lincoln's lips came together firmly and then suddenly rising he strode across the passage with the air of one bent on punishment and disappeared in the domestic apartments directly he returned with the key to the theatre which he unlocked himself tad said he half apologetically is a peculiar child he was violently excited when i went to him i said tad do you know that you are making your father a great deal of trouble he burst into tears instantly giving me up the key reminded him of a little story when lincoln's attention was called to the fact that at one time in his boyhood he had spelled the name of the deity with a small g he replied that reminds me of a little story 
it came about that a lot of confederate mail was captured by the union forces and while it was not exactly the proper thing to do some of our soldiers opened several letters written by the southerners at the front to their people at home in one of these missives the writer in a postscript jotted down this assertion we'll lick the yanks termorrer if god almighty that is god almighty spares our lives that fellow was in earnest too as the letter was written the day before the second battle of manassas fetched several short ones the first time i ever remember seeing abe lincoln is the testimony of one of his neighbors was when i was a small boy and had gone with my father to attend some kind of an election one of the neighbors james larkins was there larkins was a great hand to brag on anything he owned this time it was his horse he stepped up before abe who was in a crowd and commenced talking to him boasting all the while of his animal i have got the best horse in the country he shouted to his young listener i ran him nine miles in exactly three minutes and he never fetched a long breath i presume said abe rather dryly he fetched a good many short ones though lincoln lugs the old man on may third eighteen sixty two frank leslie's illustrated newspaper printed this cartoon over the title of sandbag lincoln and the old man of the sea secretary of the navy wells it was intended to demonstrate that the head of the navy department was incompetent to manage the affairs of the navy and also that the navy was not doing as good work as it might when this cartoon was published the united states navy had cleared and had under control the mississippi river as far south as memphis had blockaded all the cotton ports of the south had assisted in the reduction of a number of confederate forts had aided grant at fort donelson and the battle of shiloh the monitor had whipped the ironclad terror merrimac the confederates called her the virginia admiral farragut's fleet had compelled the surrender of the city of new orleans the great forts which had defended it and the federal government obtained control of the lower mississippi the old man of the sea was therefore not a drag or a weight upon president lincoln and the navy was not so far behind in making a good record as the picture would have the people of the world believe it was not long after the monitor's victory that the united states navy was the finest that ever ploughed the seas the building of the monitor also revolutionized naval warfare End of part four. everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.